What is up, New York Rangers fans? And welcome to episode 60, that's 6-0, of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. And here we are. We have hockey to talk about. Can you believe it? We have one whole game to analyze. The Rangers went two weeks, as you all are well aware of, without playing for the All-Star break slash Olympic break. But it wasn't really an Olympic break because none of the NHL players went. But they still got the time off. Yada, yada, yada. We've talked about this before. But anyway, they returned on Tuesday to host the Boston Bruins at Madison Square Garden. So we have one new game to address after for the previous couple episodes, having no new games to address. So that's cool. We're definitely going to dive into that a little bit. Igor Shosturkin, awesome. Great night for him. Our guest this week is going to be Dan Rosen, friend of the podcast, friend of mine. NHL.com does a great job covering the entire league. So I wanted to have Dan on this week because as we begin even though we know the Rangers are actually past the halfway point of the season, this is kind of being looked at as the second half because they're they're coming off this two-week layoff and we're coming down the home stretch and the playoff picture is starting to come into focus, especially in the Eastern Conference. So I want to have Dan on to talk about the playoff race, to talk about each division, to talk about who he thinks the front runners are for the Stanley Cup, to talk about the Vesna Trophy conversation and, and who he feels like the leading contenders are for that which, of course, led us into a lot of Igor Shosturkin talk. And that's probably a good place to start with this podcast. I'll leave some of it for the conversation with Dan, but just in terms of what the Rangers did on Tuesday night against the Bruins, it doesn't quite qualify as a stolen win based on, you guys know Steve Valaket and some of the other people that do analytics, and basically what they consider a stolen win is when one team had a full expected goal more than their their opponent, yet the team with the fewer expected goals was the one that won. That would classify as a stolen win for the goaltender. Now, that wasn't the case with Igor on Tuesday, but to me, it felt a lot like a win that the Rangers would not have come away with had it not been for their goaltending. He was absolutely the star of the game, whether you're talking about regulation whether you're talking about overtime or whether you're talking about the shootout. And and the shootout was so impressive and so exciting and so fun to watch for so many reasons. Toward the end of overtime, I think there was like a minute and a half left. There's a collision at the net. Igor gets run over. Definitely looked a little shaken up in the moment, but he shook it off pretty quickly. They continue play temporarily, but then with about 40 seconds left in overtime, the concussion spotter. Now, Remember, this is not the Rangers trainer or anybody associated with the Rangers. This is the NHL coming down and saying, we think this player needs to be checked for concussion. There might have been some head contact or or head trauma on the play. So Igor gets taken out of the game. You you see the, the Rangers trainer, longtime trainer Jim Ramsey, go out to deliver the news to Igor. And I think Ramsey had his doubts about that whether there was really an issue there or not. But he had to be the bearer of bad news, walks onto the ice, and Igor just starts skating away from him. Like, no, I don't I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Leave me alone. Let me keep playing. You could see that Igor was upset. You could see that Ramsey's kind of just standing there with his hands on his hips and like, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, dude, but this is what I have to do. And so Igor reluctantly heads off the ice, shows his frustration, slams his stick up against the glass on the way off. I think the whole crowd was kind of stunned and trying to figure out what exactly was happening. 
The Rangers continue with overtime. Alex Georgiev has to come off the bench cold. Doesn't face any shots, luckily for him. And I also thought, now after the game, I asked him about this, and he said it wasn't the reason, but then he kind of wink, wink, said, oh, but that was actually a pretty good idea now that you mention it. Gerard Gallant calls a timeout, I think with like seven seconds left in overtime, which was the perfect amount of time, as it turned out, to stall, kill a little extra time. He said he was drawing up a play, which I don't doubt that he was, but what ended up happening was overtime ends. Oh, I'm sorry. No, actually not. But I think there might have been a little bit of time left in overtime. There was when Igor came back out after the timeout from Gallant, and he ends up being there for the Rangers in the shootout instead of having an ice-cold goaltender who had been sitting on the bench all night having to do the shootout, which obviously would have hurt their chances. So Igor makes this dramatic return. The crowd goes absolutely bonkers. All of the, the big moments I felt like on Tuesday night where the crowd really got into it were the result of either an Igor save or Igor coming out of the locker room following the concussion protocol. And then in the shootout, he was outstanding. Two of the first three attempts from Boston get by him, but then he stops the next six in a row. And now remember, the Rangers are a little shorthanded. Usually Capo Caco is one of their go-to guys. He's out with an injury. We're going to talk about him a little bit more during this program. But the Rangers, it felt like, were just not getting great chances. Mika scores on a shootout attempt. Panarin scores on a shootout attempt. But all the rest of their shooters were, were not having any success. So one after another, the Rangers aren't converting their attempts but every time the Rangers get stopped or the Rangers shoot one wide, Igor was there. It, it just felt like with each save that he made, I'm sitting there with a couple other reporters and we're watching and we're talking a little bit. It just felt like he was like, we're not losing this game. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we come away with these two points. And it was just one save after another. It felt like sheer will and determination. And Igor keeps making those saves six in a row during the shootout. And then finally, Keandre Miller makes a really nice move on his shootout attempt. Never had never seen him do that before. But obviously, I think after that, he might get another shot at it somewhere down the line. Keandre Miller finishes off the game and the Rangers come away with a two to one win. Igor was outstanding. He made saves with every body part you can imagine. I know some of you who are watching the game know exactly what I'm talking about. He made saves on breakaways. He made big saves in overtime. Another outstanding performance from him. He picked up right where he left off. And to me, with every game that he has like this, I feel more confident and strongly about his chances to actually take home the Vesna Trophy this season. I think if you were holding the vote today... For me, I would have to give him strong consideration. We'll talk to Dan in a little bit about some of the factors in there, and he has played fewer games than some of the other leading contenders. But if you look at his save percentage, if you look at goal saved above expectation, and if you just watch the games, the Rangers are sitting here at 31-13-4, and and they are, I don't believe, anywhere close to that record if it's not for Igor Shesterkin. He has been their best player this season. He was again on Tuesday night, and they come away with a win on a night when, quite frankly, they didn't play all that great. I thought they were pretty solid defensively. Igor had to make some big stops, but they didn't give up an overwhelming total of shots or scoring chances. The, the bigger issue, and this is the issue that we've talked about before and we're going to continue to talk about, is scoring at five on five is just not there for the Rangers. It is, it is an ongoing concern, 
And it was emphasized on Tuesday because of the fact that there were no penalties called in the first two periods. And the Rangers only got one power play for the whole game. It was at the very end of the third period. They didn't convert. And at five on five, they just did not have a whole lot, especially their top six. Now, they seem to be openly acknowledging this more since we came back from the break. Spoke to Ryan Strom about it the other day. Spoke to Philip Heedle about it today. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Heedle as well because I want to touch on a few things with him. But one of the bits of news that we got when the Rangers came back from the break was that Capo Caco, who missed six games prior to the break with an upper body injury, is now going to be out for what the Rangers are saying is at least an additional month. So you're not looking at having Caco back until at least around the trade deadline. And at that point, I think the Rangers will have less than 20 games remaining in the season. It could linger even longer than that. You might not see him till April. We don't know exactly what the injury is. We don't know if he's having any kind of procedure or surgery. Gallant would not confirm any of that, but he did say that they expect him out for this extended time. He said it's going to be at least a month. So with Kako out and the Rangers already being thin at right wing, even before he went out, you have this big hole in the top six right now. And quite frankly, I wrote about this on Tuesday prior to the game. There really is not a good answer for how to fill that void. I think I feel pretty confident. I, I think a lot of you are in agreement that the best option for the top line right now is Alexi Lafreniere on the right wing with Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad. I did not think they looked great, if I'm being honest with you guys, on Tuesday night. But I think they had some encouraging games before the break. And I think that that is clearly your best option to move forward. And I think it's time for them to give Lafreniere that extended opportunity. And I believe that they've reached the same conclusion. So I think you're going to see that line stick together. But the second line we all believed, if Kaka was healthy, was going to have Panarin, Strom, Kako coming out of the break. Now that you don't have Kako, the question is who fits in that spot? They've tried Dryden Hunt there. I think that experiment is over, and deservedly so. Philip Hedo played a little bit there, but if you look at those metrics, if you look at those analytics, that's they were they were really not good. They were bleeding shot attempts, scoring attempts. It, it just it was a very small sample size. I think they played about seventy five minutes together, but. I just don't think that Heedle is a great fit for what those guys want. Those guys want somebody who, who does a little more of the net front work and the behind the, the behind the net work and along the boards and puck retrieval and forechecking and defense. And those aren't really the strengths of Heedle's game. So I don't think he's a great fit there. And I think the numbers bear it out in the amount of time that they have played together. You know, Julian Gauthier, I do not think you're going to have him as a top six staple. He simply has not been productive enough to justify that move. So, you know, Vitaly Kratsov isn't walking through that door anytime soon, as we've talked about at length before. So I do think that the move that Gallant made by putting Barclay Goudreau up there, because he, of all the current options, has definitely had the most success when playing with Panarin and Strom, career high in goals this season, and does a lot of those little things that we just mentioned that Panarin and Strom like in a right winger. I think Goudreau is probably the right choice to play there right now. But what that leaves you with is a bottom six that, really does not look very strong. Your your third line is Heedle, Gautier, and Dryden Hunt right now. I think you could argue, especially in the case of Hunt and Gautier, those guys are probably better off on the fourth line, if maybe not even in, in the lineup at all. Heedle is 
the question mark of those guys. He's obviously got the biggest upside. He's obviously got the most skill. And the encouraging thing that came out of Tuesday night, besides Igor, who was obviously at the very top of the list, is that the third line and even the fourth line, I thought, did a pretty decent job of keeping the Rangers in that game. You look at the top six, they had some scoring chances, but they gave up a whole lot. And they, I don't think in general, looked very dangerous. I don't think they spent enough time in the offensive zone. The bottom six did. And I, I believe I put the numbers in the story that I wrote following the game on Tuesday night. It was something like 11 to 3 or 11 to 4 that the bottom six outshot the Bruins while they were on the ice. They also had the advantage in scoring chances. And it just looked like they were more assertive and they spent a lot more time in the offensive zone than the top six did, which is not the MO of this team. That that That's quite surprising. And I don't think you can bank on that moving forward. But you did see some encouraging signs out of the bottom six. And Heedle in particular. He scored their only goal in regulation. And to me, he looked like he had some extra jump in his step. He looked just about, I think, as good as he has all season. And we've talked about him a lot prior. Before the break, I thought that there were questions starting to come up about, does he have a long-term future here? He, he wasn't doing a great job at center. They had moved him to wing. And he was just having a very inconsistent up-and-down season and not really doing enough to solidify himself as somebody who you can feel good about penciling into the lineup, not just for the rest of this season, but looking ahead to next season. And that was really starting to bring the Rangers' center depth into question even more so than it has been in the past because we know Ryan Strom has an expiring contract, and if Philip Heedle isn't good enough to be your third-line center, well, then you have a gaping hole on both lines in your middle six. So... The Rangers could really use Heedle turning it around. And what was interesting today, I'm talking about Wednesday, the day I'm recording this, is got a chance to speak to Heedle after practice. And he was pretty candid about the fact that even before he missed some games, he I think his last game was January 22nd. I think he missed five games going into the break. And the Rangers you know, said it was a lower body injury at the time, but we didn't know when he had sustained that injury. He told us today that he had actually been dealing with an injury for most of the first half of the season. He said he had been playing in pain for a good portion of the season up to that point. And that he felt that taking the extra time to rest, and if you remember, he had practiced with the team before their last game against the Florida Panthers, which was on February 1st, right before the break began, and there were some you know, questions about whether he was going to end up playing that night or not. The Rangers end, ultimately ended up deciding to hold him out, giving him almost a full month between that January 22nd game when he last played and that February 15 game against the Bruins on Tuesday, giving him almost a full month to recover and, and get himself right. And he said today that he needed that, was his exact words. He said that he had been battling through this and that he – you know, said he didn't want to make excuses, but that he did feel like it, it affected his play because he was playing through pain. Again, we don't know exactly what the injury was beyond the lower body. It's, it's you know, we can have a whole other conversation about why teams like the Rangers are so secretive about this stuff. I think it's silly, but that's a conversation for another day. But a lot of times you get the players out there and they're willing to be a little more open about what they're feeling or what injury they were dealing with. And, and Hedo didn't say specifically which body part it was or what the injury was, but he did say 
that he felt rested and refreshed and that he thought that it was needed because he did not feel like himself prior to the break. So that that tells me that we shouldn't jump to conclusions about what we saw from him in January or even prior to that. Obviously, he was playing through something. And based on what we saw Tuesday night, he looked like a much improved player. He looked like a healthy player. He looked like a guy with all the speed and skill that that has made the Rangers excited about his potential in the past. So I think I want to see what happens with Heedle, especially in these next couple of weeks, because I've told you guys before, it would not shock me if the Rangers entertained trading him, whether it's at this deadline or over the summer, especially because if you look ahead, he's got, I think, a $2.3 million cap at next season, and we know how tight they are in cap space. If they decided to move on from him, they could save themselves a little bit there. But at the same time, if he takes off and has a big second half here, then you rethink everything. And then you maybe feel good about moving forward with him as your third line center or whatever it might be. So Heedle's a guy to keep an eye on. I appreciated the honesty today. I know some people might look at that as making excuses. And he said, you know, listen, I was playing before. And when you're on the ice, nobody wants to hear about what's wrong with you. But I think now that that's in the past. He said he wants to put it behind him. I appreciated him being a little open and honest about the fact that he was not feeling 100%. He was not feeling like himself. And listen, anybody who's playing through pain, you have to think that that's going to have a negative effect on their results. So let's see what happens with Philip Hedl moving forward. I thought Tuesday was a good step in the right direction for him. The Rangers will play again on Thursday. They host the Detroit Red Wings. Then they travel to Ottawa to play the Senators over the weekend. So hockey is back. It's a little more scattered than it will be in another week or so because after that Ottawa game, I think they have three or four days off. But the point is we got hockey back. We've got hockey to talk about. We just spent about 15 minutes or so breaking down one game, and next week we'll have even more to talk about. So that's good news. In the meantime, I want to get to our conversation with Dan. We're going to talk about some league-wide stuff, and then I'll come back after the interview to answer some of your Rangers questions. Now let's welcome back a friend of the show, a guy who is going to help us break down the league, maybe talk a little bit about the playoff picture, talk a little bit about the Metro division, and that would be our friend from NHL.com, Dan Rosen. So Dan, uh, you were probably sick of me last night. We just were with each other like 10 hours ago, but but I, I appreciate you coming on now again. Of course. Yeah, no, let's talk. It's good. I mean, there was a lot to talk about just in that game last night, you know? Yeah, I mean, what what did you, what did you make of it, Igor? I want to get your perspective as somebody who watches more of the league than I do. Obviously, I've been hyper focused on the Rangers all season, and I watch Igor every game, and, and he's been outstanding. But as far as the Vesna Trophy conversation, like, where do you feel like he stacks up, especially as he keeps putting together performances like he did on Tuesday night? Well, I think he's been without question the best goaltender in the Eastern Conference. And the reason I I clarify Eastern Conference there is because UC Soros has been really, really good, you know, for the Nashville Predators. Now, I think it comes down to those two as who's been better this season. Um, and, and I mean, I lean more towards Shesterkin right now 
Because, look, I mean, the Rangers don't, unless they're scoring a ton on the power play, they're not giving him a ton of help offensively. Their power play has been really good. Uh, but when it's not going, it's not a great five-on-five. They're, they're not a terrific possession team. They're okay, you know, but they're not great in that department. Um, so I, I lean a little bit more towards Eagle because I think he has just saved them in so many different ways is the biggest reason why they're in the position that they are right now. Um, and yes, Kreider's been great and Fox has been great. And Mika Zibanejad has been great. No question about Panarin, obviously, but Shesterkin has been their MVP. Uh, and so I lean a little bit towards him, but that also might just be a, a recency bias or B. I see him a little bit more than I see Soros, but I, I, I would say between those two guys at this point, uh, that's the running right there. But then look, you toss in Jacob Markstrom, who has been playing terrific for the Calgary Flames. They've won seven games in a row. Um, you know, see, obviously you can't forget about him. Tristan Jerry's having an incredible season uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Can't forget about him. And then there's always Andre Vasilevsky as well. He's been great. Uh, no lulls in any of their games, to be honest with you, this year. But when you take into account everything that Igor Shosturkin has meant for the Rangers, uh, and, and just the reaction, even last night, just coming back, you know, for them in the shootout and the fan reaction, I think you absolutely have to lean, you know, in his direction a little bit more than the others. It's a long way from being decided. And there's a couple different ways you could look at it. Like if, if you pull up the stats right now, Igor's save percentage is at 938. Nobody else that you mentioned is even in the 930s. They're all in the 920s. Right. If you look at the advanced numbers, like I know Steve Valaket puts this stuff out sometimes. If you look at Evolving Hockey or, or any of those websites, mm -hmm. as far as the, the advanced stuff, goal saved above expectation, Igor is at the top of pretty much everybody's list. So his performance and how he does against high danger chances and quality scoring chances, he's been, I think many people would argue, the best goalie in the league with that. But now you mentioned a guy like Saros. You look at him. He's got 41 appearances this season. Igor only has 30. So 11 more games at this point in the season is a pretty significant number. So some people might look at that and argue, okay, well, Soros is putting more on his shoulders and doing more for his team because mm -hmm. he's been more available. Igor, we know, missed pretty much or the entire, not the entire month of December, but I think eight games in December, had COVID for a little while. So he hasn't been quite as available as maybe some of these top guys. But when he's been on the ice, I don't think anybody's been better. Well, I, I, and I would agree with that. I, I would. I mean, and the numbers bear that out, right? Um, and that's why it's an end of the season award. You know, like, you know, we'll look at it and, you know, if Igor doesn't get hurt for the rest of the season, he plays, you know, I mean, he he could, he's going to wind up with 50 appearances, right? Which, you know, to me is the bar, you know, it's a good enough number, right? To, you know, because that's where we are right now in goaltending in the National Hockey League. It's on, you know, what Saros is doing is a little bit out of the norm at this point, how often he has been playing. It's more of like a 50-32 breakdown, 52-30, however you want to break it down. Um, it's usually that way now uh, in the National Hockey League to keep goaltenders fresh, especially in a season with a condensed schedule at times, a lot of three and fours. The Rangers don't have a ton of travel. They have traveled, but they don't have a ton, uh, whereas Nashville travels a ton. You know, I mean, they, they're, they're on the road a lot. Um, there is no local game for them when they play a road game. They got to they got to fly to it, whereas the Rangers don't have to do that on, for a lot of their, you know, a number of their road games. But um, that's why it's usually a, a 52, 51, you know, in that 55, whatever you want to do in that number. And Igor is going to get there if he continues to play 
uh, without getting any, you know, injuries because the Rangers are going to need them. Like, I mean, they're in a race here to, to get as best possible playoff seed as they can get. Um, and they need their best player on the ice to get there. Yeah. If he stays healthy, I think he has a really good chance and you can just feel recently the buzz kind of picking up yeah. around him. I, I want to ask you more a team perspective, league wide perspective, it's, I've been saying this for a month now. I'm sure you've been saying and recognizing the same thing, but you look at the Eastern Conference and the eight teams that are going to make the playoffs are, are barring something crazy. They're locked in. It's pretty wild that we're coming down the stretch here and, and you know the Rangers have 34 games left to play and it would be an absolute shocker if they don't make the playoffs because if you look at the Metro, the top four teams have distinguished themselves and if you look at the Atlantic, the top four teams have distinguished themselves. So is that is that unique in your mind? Is there anything that might surprise you? Do you think there could be a sleeper team that emerges or do you think the eight look like they're locked in as far as you're concerned? I don't know. I mean, to me, the eight look like they're locked in and it is surprising because you don't normally see it that way where it's like broken down haves and have nots, you know, I mean, like a team, the Red Wings, right? They look good and they've been way better and they're a 500 team and they got 50 points. But then you look at it, you say they're eight points behind the Boston Bruins right now. And the Bruins have three games in hand. You know, the Bruins have 35 games to play. The Red Wings have 32 games to play. So can they catch them? It's a lot of points to make up when you have to play fewer games than the team. And then I'd say to myself, like, well, all right, the Islanders have a ton of games to play, right? I mean, they have 39 games left, the New York Islanders. They have a lot of points to make up, 18 points to make up right now if you look at it where they are with the Boston Bruins. But, you know, hey, they got a lot of games to play. Then they go out and lose 6-3 to Buffalo. So they kind of are what they are, right? And I think that's what we're at here with the Eastern Conference. Even though you look at teams below the threshold right now and you want to make a case for the Red Wings, you want to make a case for the Islanders just to make it interesting, right? There is no case to be made, in my opinion, because if there was, the New York Islanders would be ripping off a 17-0-2 stretch or something like that, you know, to get themselves back in the race. Not going out and losing 6-3 to the Buffalo Sabres. Like, that, that can't happen. If you want to be there and the Red Wings, again, they're, they're okay. I think they have a bright future, but I don't think they have what it takes to make up ground on a team like the Bruins, who we, we even saw last night at the garden. They're playing without Marchand. They're playing without Bergeron, but they're playing with so much structure. And Jeremy Swayman's legit. I mean, I think Jeremy Swayman's a legit NHL goaltender too. And I think he played really well against Rangers and he has played well, you know, in recent day, you know, a lot of recent games too. Oh, really the balance of the season. So, it is weird. Uh, I just don't see how any of the teams below the threshold right now can climb up and, and knock any of these top eight off. So it's a battling battle for positioning basically right now. And in, in many respects, it's a battle, battle for who do you really want to play? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with all that. I would be completely surprised if, if anything changes. It's just a matter of who wins the division, who, what are the yeah. first round matchups, that sort of stuff. In the Western Conference, it's different. And the, the way I see the Western Conference is the Avalanche are a juggernaut. Vegas, when Jack Eichel comes in the lineup, which is expected to happen on Wednesday, I, I, I think they, on paper, could have the best team in the league or they're right there with the Avs. So you have two, I think, really high-quality teams in the West, even though Vegas, I don't think their record is all that great. I don't think they have a huge point total. But after that, there does seem to be some, some intrigue, at least as far as which teams are going to make the playoffs. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I actually think there's four teams in the West that are the top teams. Colorado's the clear favorite, clear number one right now. And uh, 
And then Vegas, yes, Jack Eichel returns, but Mark Stone's out. He's on LTIR, right? So you, you add, but you subtract. And that was the thing with Vegas when they were able, we knew when they were going to be able to add Jack Eichel to the lineup as they they have now have done. The dream lineup for the Vegas Golden Knights wasn't going to be able to happen just simply because of the salary cap. It just wasn't going to allow it. So they had, you'd rather probably, if you're a Vegas fan, you'd rather see them move with some bits and pieces away, not have to put Mark Stone on LTIR. Like he's, arguably their most important player right so um that happened now but they're going to be fine the other two teams i love minnesota i love the way they've played um their balance is there you know we saw what they could do a couple of weeks ago at the garden on henrik lundquist night slow start but then they just kind of ripped through it zuccarello has been terrific by the way matt rangers don't want to hear that (laughs) oh but that's i understand that but you know matt zuccarello's numbers of late um, I have them right here. They have been lights out good. 24 points in 15 games since December 20th for him. He has scored at least two points in eight of the past 11 games. Like it's, he's really good. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, he's been really good. And Kaprizov's been excellent. Matt Boldy comes in. Uh, to me, he's an Eric Stahl clone, and he just had a hat trick the other night. So they're very good. It's their goaltending. Is Cam Talbot going to be able to hold up? That's going to be a question mark for them. But they're good, and I think Bill Guerin, their GM, is going to go all in at the trade deadline. Um, their cap situation gets ugly because of the buyouts to Parisi and Suter starting next year. This is a year for them. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I love, I really like Calgary. I mentioned Markstrom before. Calgary's won seven straight games. They just added Tyler Toffoli. They're about a plus 48 in goal differential this season. They can score. They can defend. I still think they need to add on the back end, but they're a sneaky good team that's well coached as well. So I think it's those four in the West right now with Colorado, the clear favorite. But yeah, you got Edmonton nipping. You got Dallas nipping. Vancouver's still nipping around there too. Winnipeg's hanging around. So it's not as set uh, by any stretch of the imagination like it is in the East. And I think Rangers fans, when they think back to earlier in the season, the way that the Flames looked when they played the Rangers, they looked like a very formidable team. So, yeah, I I definitely hear what you're saying on all that. Vegas, though, I'll say this. If I'm them, I think I would rather take my chances on getting to the playoffs without Stone and not have to trade off key pieces and then be able to do what the Lightning did in recent years and and go in there with a full-bore, absolutely loaded lineup. Uh, I think that would give them the best chance for playoff success at least. Well, we say that. I mean, he has to be legitimately injured. Okay, so that's number one. Um, It's a back injury, I believe, for Stone. Uh, So he has to be legit out. But, yes, um, they make the playoffs without Mark Stone. Yes. All right? I mean, they make the playoffs without Mark Stone. Uh, Key thing, though, is Robin Lehner's hurt, too. Right? I think he's out with an upper body injury. We don't know the extent of that. He's getting some tests done. Uh, If that's the case, too, they're going to have to be in the goalie market come the trade deadline. Right. So uh, that's something that's another thing to watch with Vegas. But I I, I can see your point. I had the same thought, you know, when they put Stone on LTIR and I'm like, hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. But if he's legitimately hurt, you know, he's legitimately hurt. And and so they that's how they solve the problem. Now, Um, they'd rather him in the lineup like the Lightning would have preferred having Kucherov in the lineup. Like, let's be honest, he's one of the best players in the league. You don't want to have one of the best players in the league sideline. I never quite got that argument from fans saying, well, it was convenient for them. It's convenient for them only because the rules allowed it, but they'd much prefer to have the best, one of their best players in the lineup. Yeah, but again, it does 
it does give them a little leeway to not have Absolutely. to trade yeah. away keep you know people have talked about Riley Smith or whoever it might be from the yeah. from the Knights who they would have to trade if you go into the playoffs with all those guys you're you're looking pretty strong and i think it would be really cool to see them matched up with the avs in the playoffs but we'll save that conversation for another day i, I want to talk about the metro rangers fans are going to want you to say that the rangers are the best team in the metro but if we're being realistic looking at the standings You've got Pittsburgh. I think they've won four in a row, and they're in first place right now. To me, though, especially with the way they looked against the Rangers and the few times that I've seen them play this season, Carolina, to me, is a team that I think would be scary to play in the playoffs. But I'm curious for your opinion, who do you see as the best team in the Metro? Because we know with the Penguins, the the Hurricanes, the Rangers, and the Capitals, it's it's pretty tight. It's been looking that way all season. I think it's Carolina um, by a nose over the Penguins right now and I put I would put the Rangers third right now and, and I can't say I, I don't want to be so negative and say like a distant third but I think they're a clear third right now um Carolina to me has no flaws like they're a team with without it there's nothing wrong with them there's nothing you can go out and say like Ooh, well maybe they could use some help there nope they're, they've got that you know whatever it is you're thinking they got it um and that they've struggled a little bit lately, you know, with a couple of losses here and there, but that's to be said, everybody's going to lose every once in a while. You know, I I don't think that's alarming at all. So I think that they are just a team that they don't need to do anything at the trade deadline and they will be just fine. And a juggernaut type of team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, I put it too, only because I look at their defense and I say, they've been very healthy in the top six all season you almost wonder, you know, if that's going to change on them, that luck's going to change on them. And if it does, they don't really have depth at that position beyond that. Right. So that's something that's a concern that I think they need to address and their backup goaltending. Tristan Jerry's played a lot. Casey DeSmith has not been very good. Uh, you want, you're going to go into the playoffs. You want a fresh Tristan Jerry, because that's where the pressure is going to mount on him, especially after, you know, what happened to him last season. And you're not, you need a guy to, to fill in some games here that you can trust. Uh, I don't know where that trust is right now with Casey Smith. So I think they need to address that. So that's why I put them at two. And then I look at the Rangers and I say, well, I mean, their top five forwards are dynamic. You know, their, their D is solid. Their goaltending is excellent, but their depth scoring lacks big time. Uh, they need the power play to be great and they need as good as I thought Jones and Schneider looked together as a third pair. I'm not saying I'm, you know, if I'm, I'm the Rangers, I'm not comfortable with that, you know, for the balance of what's remaining this season and going into the playoffs. I think they need to add there. So we know, you know, if they want to be legit contenders this season, they need a top six forward, maybe another depth forward, and they need a, a veteran on the back end. I think to me, defenseman is the is easily the last concern on that list. It, the Joan Schneider thing, I want to see how it plays out in these next, I think they have 15 games before the trade deadline. I'd like to see how it plays out, wrote that this week, and, and they went with it the other night. We'll see what happens with Patrick Nemeth. But, you know, he was signed to be the veteran. Are, are they going to go out and get another older veteran who could maybe slide in the bo- on, the, on the bottom pair and, and be slightly better than Nemeth? I, I'd rather go with the kids for a little while and see what you have, especially knowing they're going to have a decision to make as far as who they keep. And it's better to, to get some information by watching them play and seeing how they do at the highest level before you make those those crucial decisions. But the forward thing, absolutely. The, the lack of yeah. scoring at five on five has crept up time and time again. When that 
we, we talk about the stars. They definitely have the star power. And, and that power play unit, that top unit, is star-studded. And that's why they've been so good. But the scoring depth beyond that has really been lackluster. And now with Capo Caco out for at least a month, if, if they want to be a legitimate contender in the playoffs, absolutely they need to add at least one forward, maybe two. The question is, how, how much do you push your chips all the way into the table this season, knowing the roster is still so young and, and knowing that you're probably still behind teams like the Hurricanes and the Lightning and some of these other teams you'd be vying with in the playoffs? So it's an interesting question. The one thing that you think about, though, after a game like Tuesday night is with Igor Shesterkin, if he's playing at that level, they have a puncher's chance in any playoff series. I, you don't punt when you have an opportunity, right? Like the, to me, like you got to go for it. Uh, you don't know when it's going to come back around. They could say, oh, well, we're not ready yet. And next year is going to be our year. Like we don't want to give up our assets right now to improve right now because next year is going to be our year. And then Igor Shesterkin goes out and blows his ACL, right? And next year is not your year anymore, Right. You don't punt when you have an opportunity. To me, you, you, you're Chris Drury. You, you, you got to, you got to, this team has played well enough to where it's now your job to help them. Not right. And, and I, and I think that they can do it. I think they can be a dangerous team if you make some of the additions and they, they're going to be trading from a position of strength. They have really good young assets, a lot of them on D. Uh, so they're trading out of a position of strength if that's the case. Uh, I would, I mean, it's easy enough for me to say here, but that's uh, looking at it now. I would say you got to try, right? You got to you got to see what's. Up. I wouldn't overpay, but you got to try. And I think of a guy on the back end, and you mentioned, you know, Nemeth was signed, um, and that's all well and good. But Nemeth could also be your number seven. I, I, what if you can add a Ben Sherratt, right? Ben Sherratt, pending UFA, just played in the Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup final last year. Big, physical, tough defenseman. He's injured right now, but should be back. Not long-term thing. Could could really make a difference on your back end, especially in a third-pair role. Helps your penalty kill a little bit, too. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg to get him. Like, you know, I mean, Montreal's looking to sell, you know. And, you know, and you know you're going to have conversations with who? Jeff Gordon on that trade, right? So, um, you know, I... I I think that's reasonable to consider uh, something along those lines. Like I, I would love to see, you know, Vegas eventually has to move a guy. If you can get a better Riley Smith, I think that would be fantastic. But again, what's it going to cost all that stuff? I just think if you're Chris jury, the Rangers right now, you're looking at a situation and going, it's nice and all to say, Oh, we're not quite there yet, but you don't know if you're going to be even close next year. Right. Look at the Islanders. Just, I mean, the Islanders, you know, for two years, they were right there and they never got there. And now look where they are. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I absolutely think the right thing to do is make a move, as you said, within reason. The Sherratt thing, I, I don't know if I'm on board with that. It, the analytics community certainly wouldn't like that move. And, and how much of, to me, it's like how much of an upgrade is he from Nemeth? I, I think. You have that defensive-minded physical presence in Schneider. I think Jones brings a much more dynamic element. I'd yeah. rather see that. Now, you know, are you going to trust two rookies in a playoff series against another team's top line? That's not ideal, of course. The Rangers did it with Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren when they were both rookies, and it worked out pretty well. Obviously, neither Schneider nor Jones, I think, is at Fox's level. Yeah. But I, I think if they're playing, if they're playing third pair minutes, I, I, that's the way that I would personally go for now. And I wouldn't stress the defenseman thing, but the yeah. forward thing, if they're going to be legitimate, they need to get a forward. 
you know, at least a top nine guy, preferably, as you said, a top six guy and, and who that's going to be. You know, a lot of rumors are being floated right now. I think they're waiting to see how the market materializes. I think they've got uh, the iron on a lot of different fires and, and they want to see, especially in these next few weeks, we talked about some of those fringe playoff teams. Does some of them drop out of the race mm-hmm. and become more willing sellers? And I think that's why, in all likelihood, we're probably not going to get an answer for this question for a few weeks. No, I agree with that. Um, and it, it defense, on the defensive side, real quick, I do. Look, I think they should give this a run, Jones and Schneider. I, I think it makes a lot of sense to do that uh, over the next, whatever, 8, 10, 12, whatever games it is. Let's see what you got. But I will say this, the the the... What, the, what gives me pause is if they finish third, right, and they open up on the road and they have to play against, you know, Carolina or Pittsburgh, then you know that Rob Brindamore or Mike Sullivan is going to target that pair to get, A, if it's Sidney Crosby on the ice against them, or B, if it's, you know, Sebastian Ajo and Andrei Svechnikov on the ice against them as often as you can because for those first two games – you're not going to have home ice advantage. You're not going to have the last change advantage. And and that's going to, it, it potential, it has potential to hurt you. Also has potential to be great. You know, like, let's be honest. I mean, those two guys can play. Uh, so we'll see where we are on that. But the forward, you know, I absolutely. Like, you know, I, I was asked yesterday, uh, somebody from Boston called me. They were looking around, you know, just poking around to see, you know, what was going on with the Rangers. How's that third line was the question. I said, what third line? They have two fourth lines. You know, and, and and right now they do because Kako's out. I get that, you know, but like Hunt, Heedle, and Gautier, are, they're not giving you much. I know Heedle scored last night, but they really don't have a third line that you can rely on. And you look at how you win in the playoffs. Look at the Penguins when they won. Look at the Lightning when they won. You know, they had that third line that was dangerous. You don't have it, you're not winning. Yeah, absolutely. They are unquestionably missing at least one, maybe two pieces yeah. to complete that puzzle. But before I think you can really look at them as a true contender. Last thing before I get you out of here, because I know you got things to do and I got to get to practice soon. I think I think it's coming out. Hopefully but this podcast comes out Thursday morning, so I don't want you to spill the beans if it hasn't come out yet. But number one, I know you said you were working on your power rankings. Who, who do you see as the number one team in the league right now, the front runner heading down the stretch? Well, it's Colorado. That's um, I, I figured that. Yeah, one. I just had it's, to ask. it's funny because I was asked a question from my mailbag, which is up on NHL.com today. And somebody said it wasn't even a question. It was a statement. The, I'm an avalanche fan and I think they're peaking too early and it scares me. And I was like, okay, let's dive into this a little bit. Right. And the avalanche are 23, two and three in their last 28 games. And that would, whoa, like that's pretty amazing. And that would be like, okay, is that too soon? They're averaging a little over four goals per game in that stretch. They're only giving up two and a half, you know? So if they're not going to score four goals per average over four goals per game in the playoffs, but if they give up less than three, they're going to win the Stanley Cup, right? Like, so that's where I'm at with them. It's not, they're not peaking too early because they're not sacrificing defense for offense. Their defense is very strong, among the strongest in the league. Uh, and their offense is obviously dynamic. Like Kale McCarr, to me, is, is the most talented defenseman in the league. Uh, and he is showing he's such got, got such great acumen defensively. 
uh, to go along with that. So uh, to me, it's Colorado right now. I like Florida a lot. I always like Tampa. Uh, talked about Minnesota, you know, they're in the mix too. Carolina as well. Uh, there's a couple of teams there, Pittsburgh, Toronto, the Rangers, that would be my top eight in that, in that mix. Calgary top nine, you know, you figure that in there. Do you, do you, do you, Colorado's best. Do you trust Colorado's goaltending? That's the area that I think it's questionable. And if they did nothing, I would understand, but I would have, that would be the biggest question going into the postseason. Whereas, you know, if you're talking about, it's also probably the biggest question if you're talking about Florida too, Sergey Bobrovsky, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not a big question, obviously, with Tampa. We've seen it done before, but it's a big question with a lot of teams like Colorado, Darcy Kemper. He's good. Is he good enough? You know, Sergey Bobrovsky, good. Is he good enough? Camp Talbot, is he, he's good. Is he good enough? I mean, there's there's a there's a couple of teams. Jack Campbell, he's good. Is he good enough? There's a couple of teams there that you have to say it. But Darcy Kemper has played really well of late, like really well of late. Um, Unless they can go out and get Mark Andre Fleury, I don't think there's an upgrade for them. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, as we've touched on earlier on in in this conversation, that's the that's the thing that the Rangers have right now that a lot of teams in yeah. the league probably envy is is you have that backbone, you have that goaltending, and that's going to give you a chance. And, and that might be what ultimately convinces Chris Jury to roll the dice. You know, with all the salary cap concerns for next season. You know, they'll leave that for next season. It might mean a one-year rental because they can afford whoever sure. they want right now. The question is, what can they afford moving forward? You know, do you want to give up prime assets for a guy that might not be on the team next season? These are questions that we're going to be wondering about for a few more weeks, yeah. I think. But anyway, Dan, I got to yeah. run. I got to get to practice. I, yep. I appreciate your time so much. Uh, and, and thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate it. Welcome back, and thanks again to Dan for taking the time to come on the show. I know he had a busy day today, bouncing around a few places, so really appreciate him carving out a little time for us. And I thought with us looking ahead to this second half of the season and with the playoff picture becoming more of a focus for us in the next few weeks and months, I, I thought it'd be cool to get Dan's perspective on exactly you know how he sees things, how he sees it shaking out, and you know, one of the things that I came away from that thinking about, and this is also something that I was thinking about on Tuesday night after the Rangers win over Boston, is that, you know, I agree with him as far as Colorado probably being the favorite in the league right now. I still have a hard time not looking at Tampa in that same light as well. And Tampa, to me, has the stronger goaltending, which I think come playoff time could be a huge advantage. Vegas is a team that I really, really like. Once they're able to keep all those players that we were talking about with Dan and and as you guys heard me say to Dan, I do think that there's some merit to playing the rest of the regular season without Mark Stone. I know that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed to circumvent the system that way. I'm not saying that I know for sure that Tampa was holding Nikita Kucherov out of the lineup when he was healthy enough to play. I don't know that for sure. I've done no reporting around that, but it did work out pretty well for them. We all saw that. And so being able to know that your team is deep enough to withstand having one of their better players out of the lineup and then being able to reinsert them for the playoffs with no salary cap restrictions and then have a a maxed out as skilled and deep as possible lineup. Well, it worked out pretty well for the lightning. And if I'm the golden Knights, I'm not rushing Mark stone back. That's, that's at least what I would say in that situation. I'm not, I'm not advocating For faking injuries, that would be a huge scandal and controversy if it happened. But if he's hurt and if keeping him 
on long-term injured reserve for extra time to make sure he's fully 100% and as healthy as possible is going to help them avoid having to trade away other key pieces. Well, you could see why teams would have some motivation to do that. So Vegas, I think, at full strength with Jack Eichel in that lineup. To me, those are probably the teams that I look at as the top teams. But I also think Carolina, Florida, those are probably my top five, I should say, actually. I would say Vegas, Colorado, Tampa, Florida, Carolina. Those, I think, are the most dangerous teams come the playoffs. And the Rangers, I I don't think anybody would argue, are on their level as far as overall talent, experience, playing an all-around game, having speed, having skill, having scoring, having defense. All those teams are are definitely better than the Rangers and I think more well-equipped to win than the Rangers. But the one thing that, that keeps coming up, especially when you talk about Colorado or when you talk about Minnesota or when you talk about some of these other teams that we know the goaltending is not as strong as it is in a situation like the Rangers, you have to wonder like, okay, if the Rangers get in and Igor gets hot, you all know because you've seen Henrik Lundqvist do it. A good goaltender can take a lesser team and drag them deep into the playoffs if they get hot at the right time. So that, I think, might be a little more incentive for someone like Chris Drury to say, okay, team's winning a lot of games. We know they have issues and flaws at five on five, but we continue to win. We have arguably the best goaltender in the world right now, definitely the highest performing goaltender in the world right now. If we can make a key addition or two to really bolster this roster, who knows what can happen? Because part of me does feel like, it's a little early for the Rangers. It's not quite time to go all in yet. But as Dan as Dan noted, you never know when these opportunities are going to come around. You never know what's going to happen season to season as far as injuries, as far as roster turnover, salary cap, other factors. So if you are looking at a 31-13-4 record and you know that your team is heading to the playoffs barring something completely crazy and unforeseen, you probably want to give your team the best chance to win in those playoffs as possible. So that's why I do think the Rangers are going to make a move. The question is, will it be a series of moves? How big will the moves be? Will it be a top six guy or a middle six guy or whatever? And that leads us into some of these Twitter questions, which (laughs) I asked you guys for some questions, and I think pretty much all of them are involving some topic that has to do with the trade deadline, which tells you where everyone's head is at right now. Everyone kind of has trade deadline fever, even though as we sit here on February 16th, we're still more than a month away from the, the deadline. But it's fun to talk about, so we'll dive in. And our first question comes from Greg Venuto, who wrote, Do the Rangers need to add a depth D-man? They seem to have a good rotation and Nemeth in reserve. Do you expect Hayek and Lundqvist to be dealt? Greg, I think this is a really good question. And I think it's one that the Rangers are debating internally as we speak. And it's one that I think that in some ways has been a little bit overblown. Not by any one person, but I think it's just, you know, the you tend to generate these internet rumors and they take on a life of their own. I have been told repeatedly over and over and over again all season long that the Rangers' priority at the deadline is acquiring a forward. If you look at this team, if you consider the five-on-five issues we've talked about, which really comes down to generating puck possession, 
shot rate and scoring, putting more bucks in the back of the net at five on five. The Rangers have not done enough of that. And acquiring a defenseman, I don't believe is going to help them do that. It's not like they're acquired. They need a defenseman to run the power play. They have one who can do that just fine. So I don't see defense as a pressing need. And as I said to Dan, Going out and getting somebody just because of the sake that they're a veteran who at best is maybe a marginal upgrade over Patrick Nemeth, I don't really see much sense in giving up assets for that, especially if you have all of these young, talented defenseman prospects chopping at the bit for an opportunity. You have an overload, a logjam with Hartford right now. You know you're going to have to trade some of these guys eventually. So don't you want to give them all ample opportunity and find out what you have? Even if it costs you a game or two going down the stretch, it's it's hard to even envision a scenario where the Rangers would lose so many games that they would fall out of the playoff race. And, And quite frankly, I don't think a third pair veteran defenseman is going to make that much of a difference as far as making them collapse if, if that crazy scenario were to even happen. So to me, the logical thing to do right now, and it looks like the Rangers have made the same conclusion because we saw Zach Jones and Braden Schneider as that all rookie pair that we've talked about for that Tuesday night game in Boston. And I think that they did a, a pretty solid job. They held their own, especially you, you want to look at the, the shots and the scoring chances that they gave up uh, against them. Now, granted, in a little bit less ice time, but they had better rates than either of the top two pairs. I thought they looked comfortable moving the puck. I thought they looked comfortable in the defensive zone. I thought they were able to make some clean breakouts. I thought they were able to, to push up into the offensive zone and contribute a little bit. So I thought there was a lot of things to like about those two. I think they complement each other really, really well. You guys know that I had my doubts, and you you definitely know that Gerard Gallant had his doubts about playing Jones with Lundqvist because of the redundancy, because of them both being smaller players, because of the question marks about them defensively, because they both play kind of similar games. But in Schneider, you have a guy who you drafted specifically because you think he it was one of the most defensively reliable players in that draft. And because you love the physicality and the edge that he plays with. So that is a complementary skill set in my mind. And I believe in the mind of the Rangers to a guy like Zach Jones, who you watch this guy with the puck and you see why he's so highly thought of. You see why he was such an impact player for UMass and helped them win a national title last year. So I would let those two roll for now. One's a lefty, one's a writer righty. It's, it just seems like a good fit. They played together in Hartford, so they're not entirely foreign to each other. At the very least, give them the next 10 games or so to see how they perform. Tuesday was a good start, and if they can build momentum, then maybe you have something you can roll with, not just for the rest of this season, but looking ahead to next season. And if you can look ahead to next season and anticipate having two young, talented defensemen with entry-level contracts and maybe try to find a way to offload Nemeth's salary somehow and not feel pressed to go out and spend on another defenseman, that's going to help you with this tight salary cap situation that you have next season. So it just makes too much sense not to try it. I think now is the time. I wrote a column about it on Monday. I'm not going to say that uh, I had any influence on the Rangers' decision. I believe they had already decided that before I wrote that. But it just, for all these logical reasons, 
this feels like the right time for them to make that move. They did it on Tuesday night. I, I expect them to continue with it on Thursday night. And for I would wait before you make any rash decisions about a trade. I do not believe that that is a necessity right now. Maybe they fall flat in these next 10 games and then you rethink it. But for now, let those two roll. I would not go giving up any prime assets for, for a defenseman. You already signed Nemeth to be your veteran guy. If you need to swap him in at any point, I know people you know will knock how he's played the season, and he, I'm not sitting here and telling you he's been great by, by any stretch, but I don't think it's the end of the world if he has to play some games either. So I think they're, they're in an okay spot. And they also have, as we mentioned, the leading candidate for the Vesna Trophy right now in goal. So I think on the back end, that can't be the priority. It has to be forward. So I wouldn't say that I expect them to add a defenseman. I wouldn't completely rule it out either, but I think they need to use this next few weeks as a period to gather information on these two guys that they're playing, Jones and Schneider, and see if they're viable for the second half of the season. As for who I expect to be dealt, Lundqvist, Hayek, it's definitely possible on both of them. We, I told you guys on last week's podcast that it, it seems like there's been more and more chatter surrounding Lundqvist possibly being moved. I've heard it come up with a few different sources, and I do believe that the Rangers are open to moving him in the right deal, but it's not a pressing thing. I want to stress that again. He's under contract well beyond this season. He's under team control even after his contract expires, so it's not like they need to trade him right now. But I, I do believe that he is being shopped, definitely. All right, let's get to our next question. This one comes from Riyad Rangers, who wrote, what style of top nine right wing should the Rangers look to trade for? Sniper, playmaker, power forward, two-way, even though we should all expect it's going to end up being a grinder. Well, I would say, ideally, you want someone who's well-rounded and can do a lot of that stuff. But ultimately... I do think that it's important that whoever the Rangers acquire can contribute something offensively. I know, knowing Chris Drury and knowing the way that they want this team to play and knowing the way that Gerard Gallant wants his team to play, that they're not going to go out and acquire somebody who, who's a dead weight or a liability in the defensive zone. That would, be, that would be something that I just can't foresee, and that wouldn't be the right move to begin with. But I do think that it's important that whoever they acquire helps with these five-on-five offensive issues that we repeatedly talk about. Who's it going to be? That's the question everybody wants to know. I've been telling you guys for weeks that we're going to need to be a little patient. We're going to need to let the market materialize. I don't expect the Rangers to pull the trigger on a deal anytime, let's say, in the next few days. I think it's going to be more like weeks, probably much closer to March 21st than to today. So I would urge everybody a little patience. I think what's going to be interesting is – how much does Chris Drury push the chips in as far as going for a top-tier talent? Like if a, if a Tomas Hurdle or someone like that becomes available, does he go all in and, and ha- probably have to offer multiple picks and prospects to get it done? Or does he prefer somebody who he won't have to give away his prime assets for, more of a middle six guy? Now, some of you probably saw, I retweeted it earlier today, Pierre Lebrum, one of the you know top national or or I guess North American guys as far as hockey goes, he tweeted that he's seeing some some smoke 
coming from the Rangers and the Montreal Canadiens, which is where we know former Rangers general manager Jeff Gorton is now in charge. And he said that he believes that Gorton has interested has interest, I should say, in bringing in some of the prospects that he helped bring to New York in the first place. Now he'd like to see if he can get them to Montreal. I've heard Montreal come up as well. I, I When I retweeted that I mentioned and, and linked back to a story that I wrote back in November where I mentioned that I believe that Arturi Lekkinen is a player, a winger, who I think the Rangers would have some interest in. Now, this is a guy we talk about offense who – is not a big point producer. I think he has like 20 points this season. So he's not going to light it up offensively. But if you look deeper, if you look at his shot share, if you look at his possession metrics, if you look at his defensive metrics, he has been easily the top performer for the Canadiens this season. And, and by a wide margin, I mean like his expected goal rates are like seven or eight points higher than the next closest guy on his team. So he's been one of the only standouts for one of the worst teams in the league. And I know that he's a guy that, that a lot of teams, including the Rangers, believe does a lot of little things that can help a team win. He, he's not, I don't think, a top-line player, but I think he could be easily slot in as an upgrade somewhere for the Rangers in the middle six. I think he would be a, a really good defensive contributor. But I also think that we've seen, based on these numbers, that he's a guy who can help you with puck possession and could chip in in a lot of other ways as well. So he would definitely be an upgrade over a Dryden Hunt or a Julian Gauthier on that third line, no doubt about it. And I don't necessarily think you'd have to sell the farm to get a guy like that. Jeff Gorton might have interest in some of those middle-round prospects that he drafted in 18, 19, 20. Maybe a Carl Henriksen or maybe a Hunter Skinner or some pieces like that who aren't the Rangers' top, top prospects, but are guys that Gorton drafted and probably knows really well and would like to bring to Montreal. Now, would you give up a, a guy like Lundqvist or Kratzoff to get Lekkinen? I think the Rangers would have some hesitation there. Kratzoff, maybe, maybe they'd be more willing to discuss than Lundqvist because Kratzoff, we know the situation the Rangers are probably going to have to take a, a lower return than they'd like for him at some point anyway. But I, I think that that based on what Pierre said and based on what I've heard in the past, the Lekkinen is a name who could fit into that mold. But we've talked about a lot of the other names. You know, In an ideal world, a Joe Pavelski would look really good for the Rangers. There's a handful of guys that I think na- their names will be floated in the coming weeks, and the Rangers are probably going to kick the tires on to some degree. But... To answer your question, Riyad, I don't think that they are necessarily saying we need a guy who's got a really good shot or we need a guy who's really good defensively. I think they're going to want to look for an all-around player, but I also do think that it is very important that whoever they do require isn't a nothing offensively. That's not going to help them. They need somebody who can at least chip in points here and there, who can at least help them gain puck possession, who can at least make sure that these numbers that we've seen and the lack of offense that we've seen at five on five improves. Cause that's ultimately what they're trying to do. They're trying to improve their five on five play and whichever forward they acquire, they're going to have to help them with that goal. If it's really going to be an impact move. All right. These final question, there's a lot of questions that kind of were similar and I grouped these two together. So I'm going to read off two of them and, and then we'll take it from there with my answer. So first one comes from Christian P who wrote, 
do you really include a Lundqvist or a Jones for a player who will wear a blue shirt for just about two or three months? I know it needs to be done, and I'm all for a push to contend, but are these guys going to get the boot for a rental? And then Brett AM asked, do you sense or have any sense of whether the Rangers are pursuing more of a true rental at the deadline or someone with a few years on his contract to help for the near future as well? So, Brett, I'm going to kind of start with you here. The Rangers understand that the easiest thing for them to do is a rental. They have oodles of cap space right now. They can literally acquire any player they want. They can acquire multiple players and have no worries this season as far as their cap concerns. So that makes the rental thing something that I know they're looking into and would be easy from the perspective of the salary cap. So I I think there's a very good chance, a high probability that you're going to see at least one rental type of player acquired. And, and that's the type of category that people like Hurdle and Pavalski fall into. Lekkonen's a little bit different because he's a restricted free agent after the season with arbitration rights. I think he's getting paid like $2.3 million right now. So acquiring him, although I think the Rangers have reasons to like him, would be a little more complicated because what do you do with him next season? You'd probably have to play hardball and try to bring him in as, at as low enough of a number as possible. But that's going to complicate your negotiations with Capo Caco and with Ryan Strome and Sammy Blay, for that matter. So Lekkonen is not a, a no-brainer move from a financial perspective. That actually might cause the Rangers some pause. But Hurdle, Pavowski, Riley Smith, some of these other names you've heard come up, you've heard come up before, those guys would be true rentals. And they would help the Rangers a lot this season, but there's a decent chance that they would not be on the roster next season. And and I get the concerns here. I really do, because making a move like that is very short-sighted, you, especially if you're giving up prime assets. Like if you're giving up Lundqvist, who was your number one overall prospect coming into the season, or you're giving up your first round pick, to do that for a guy who's probably only going to play 20-ish games plus the playoffs for you, that's asking a lot, and that might not be the best business, quite frankly. It really depends on the details of the trade, exactly what the Rangers give up, exactly the kind of impact player that they get. But it would be hard to stomach, but it's also something I can tell you they're, they're definitely exploring, and it would make sense from the perspective of not causing them any future headaches. On the other hand, if you're talking about acquiring somebody who's got a few years on his contract. I think I mentioned this on last week's podcast as well. If you're going to get a guy in the name that everyone keeps bringing up is JT Miller, I'm not sold that the Rangers are totally in on him. I do believe they've called on him, but I don't think they are in a full court press or hell bent on getting him, at least not at this point, because as I mentioned last week, if the Rangers go out and get a player like that, any player who they're going to have on the hook for, let's say, $5 million plus next season, which Miller would fall into that category, that basically tells you they are not going to re-sign Ryan Strome. They cannot give Strome the money that they're talking about giving him, which I've told you guys before is going to land, they hope at least, somewhere between 5 and $6 million a year. They can't do that and then also bring in another player who falls in that 5 to $6 million range because they only have about $10.7 million as it stands right now in cap space. And they have to re-sign Kako and Blay and fill out the rest of the roster. So 
if they went out and acquired Miller, that would be a strong signal to me or anybody like Miller, who's a multi-year center type of guy. That would signal to me the Rangers aren't feeling super confident in their ability to re-sign Ryan Strom. He wants more than $6 million. He's going to test the open market. Those conversations are ongoing. It's hard to tell exactly where they're at right now. Strom's camp might want to hold off. I, I could easily see that. They might want to wait until the offseason to make that decision. I do really believe that Strom would like to stay, but you know he might be thinking, I'm not going to settle for a lower number quite yet. I want to see how the rest of the season plays out, see where my value is at when I get to the offseason before I have to make that decision. So the Rangers got to feel this out because if they think they're going to re-sign him, I really don't see them going after a guy like Miller. You're probably looking more at one-year rentals. If they don't think they're going to re-sign him, that opens up the door for you to consider guys that are under contract beyond this season. So that's a huge piece of this puzzle that I think anytime you have this conversation, you need to consider Ryan Strom. So I, I think that's my main point on this. And I would just kind of conclude by saying, I do think they're exploring both options because they want to have the backup plan. If they don't feel great about their chances of re-signing Strom. And I also think that internally they are having the debate about how far in they want to go. How hard do they want to push? Do they want to really go out and try to get one of the best two or three players that's available on the trade market and give up a lot of assets and make it clear that that they're 100% going for it this season? Or do they want to make more of a minor move, keep the core of this team intact, hope that they keep getting better in the second half, hope that Igor keeps performing at this level, and then take their chances in the playoffs having improved their lineup slightly, but not completely sacrificed major pieces that they could maybe use in a trade this summer or at a later date. So that's that's kind of the big picture question right now as far as this trade deadline is concerned. And it's something that I think the Rangers are going to put a lot of thought into, and I'm sure they already have, but I know they're going to continue doing that in the next few weeks before they pull the trigger on any deal. All right, with that, we are going to say goodbye and end this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. Big thanks to Dan for coming on the show. We will be back again next week as we get ready for some more games. I'm I'm lining up a guest, I think, who will help us maybe break down one of the bigger games that's coming up beyond this week, or I should say next week. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to next week's episode. But right now, I'm looking forward to just a little bit of rest and a little bit of relaxation tonight before things really start picking up again. So with that, everybody have a great night. Everybody have a great rest of your week. And I will talk to you next week.